0: Well, please do open your Bibles at Acts chapter 3, and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning through this part of the Bible. Lord, thank you for your word that you have written for us. Thank you that it has all been breathed out by you. And Lord, we would pray this morning that as we come to look at these verses from Acts chapter 3, that you would speak to us afresh through your word, and speak to us a word in season, a word that we need to hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's true to say that no two days are ever the same. But I also think it's fair to say that most ordinary days are pretty similar for most of us, aren't they? My guess is that almost all of you will get up at the same time every day and you have a morning routine which includes breakfast and maybe coffee and getting ready. My guess is that some of you here have lunch at the exact same time every day and probably dinner as well. My guess is that you might have an evening routine of some things you do before bed. And every day, most ordinary days, they they look more or less the same, don't they? Even if they're not exactly the same as the day before. Well, here in Acts chapter 3, what we're entering into is just an ordinary day in the city of Jerusalem. It's just an ordinary day. There's nothing special about it. It's just an ordinary day. People have got up as usual. They've gone to work as normal. They've had their lunch as normal. It has just been an ordinary day in the city. And it's an ordinary day for Peter and John. And one of the things that Peter and John are doing in their ordinary day is that they're going up to the temple to pray. If you have a look at verse 1 with me, you'll see that. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. I wonder what some of your daily habits are. And for me, the first thing I do when I wake up is have a cup of coffee. That is one of my daily habits. I wonder what your daily habits are. I wonder what are some of the things that you do every single day of life. I wonder what your habits are. Well, in the ancient world at this time, God's people had an ancient habit of daily prayer. And they prayed three times a day. They prayed in the morning. They prayed in the afternoon, and they also prayed in the evening. Usually, they would stop what they were doing, and they would have went to their local synagogue, kind of like a local church building. Or if they were in Jerusalem, the capital city, they would have went up to the temple to pray at these times of the day. They had this wonderful habit of daily prayer three times a day. They would set their gaze and their hearts and their minds on God. And so here in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're just following their daily routine. It's coming up to three in the afternoon. It's coming up to the afternoon time of prayer. They're in Jerusalem, and so they head up to the city to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kind of side note, I'm pretty challenged by this. I'm challenged by the pattern that the early Christians had. I'm challenged by the pattern that the Jews had throughout their whole history. I'm challenged by this because they had this wonderful pattern of prayer. Three times in the day, they would pray. I wonder what about you this morning as you sit here? I wonder do you have a daily habit of praying? I wonder do you take it sometime in the morning and, and just set your, your eyes on God? I wonder do you take any time in the afternoon to do the same and focus on Him? I wonder, do you do it in the evening? I'm not asking you that to to make you feel guilty. I'm asking it to make you think about your own life and your own daily patterns and your own daily habits. Do you have a regular pattern of prayer in your life? And if not, I'm not going to get a big stick and kind of hit you over the the wrist. I'm not going to slap your wrist. I'm not even going to give you a hard time about it. All I want to do this morning is simply encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning to develop times of daily prayer in your life. I want to encourage you this morning that just as you might have a coffee at a set time and brush your teeth at a set time and have your lunch at a set time, I would love to encourage you this morning to start thinking about weaving set times of prayer into your daily life. Times when you focus on God. You know, I was really amazed. I went to get an Indian Takeaway uh, a few weeks ago up in a lovely takeaway called Curry Cottage. I highly recommend it if you're looking for a new Indian takeaway. And it's interesting, I like talking to everybody. I'm a talker, just what I do, and talking to the people there and asking them about themselves. And turns out it's not India at all, it's it's Bengali. They're all from Bengal. In fact, I'm wrong, they're from Bangladesh. I've got that wrong. That's terrible, isn't it? They're from Bangladesh. And Bangladesh, it's a very Muslim country. And I was chatting to them and, and having a conversation. And what was really interesting was that they were cooking my order and I noticed one guy stopped what he was doing and he went to the back of the kitchen and he washed his hands, he washed his wrist, he washed his face and he got down on his knees and he prayed. He was a Muslim man and he let prayer interrupt his work life. It was so vital to him to pray that he went and he did it in the middle of this crazy chaotic busy kitchen. And it challenged me. It challenged me. Do I interrupt my own busy life at regular times to pray? Do you? I was also really struck. I used to live in the Republic of Ireland. I used to live in Malahide in North Dublin. And I remember the first time kind of watching TV. I went to watch the news. It was on RTE. And just before the news started, there was a minute where this bell rang, this church bell. And it's called the Angelus Bell. And it rang at six o'clock every single day on national television. And the purpose of that bell was to try to get people to stop and to focus on God. And again, if you listen to RTE Radio, even now they do it at 12 o'clock and they do it at six o'clock. They play this bell as a reminder to stop and to pause. And to fix our minds on God. This morning I really want to encourage you to build some times of prayer into your daily life. Now sometimes when you think of prayer, maybe you think of these kind of, I don't know, big long prayers. Or you think of prayer being kind of stopping where you are and getting into a private room and and taking 10 or 20 minutes and think I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. I know you don't. So what might it look like? Well, if you're going to pray three times a day, this is a pattern that I try to employ in my own life. I have a little reminder in my phone that that helps me do this. It doesn't happen every day, but the reminders come up every day, even if I miss some. And I have a time of morning prayer where I set my mind on the day ahead, and I pray for what's coming up, and I pray for people, and I just set my, my mind on God at the start of the day, and I ask him to help me live for him that day. That's just a time in the morning, not a long time, but just a focused time of prayer. And then at 12 o'clock at noon, I get another reminder on my phone, and it's just a reminder to pray the Lord's Prayer. Again, it's one minute, and and I don't do it every day, but the reminder comes up, and I try to do it every day, where I just take a minute to pray the Lord's Prayer, and again, just in the middle of the day, to focus my mind on God. And then at the end of the day, again, another reminder comes up about 10 o'clock, and, I, and I, I use an app called Lectio 365. And I listen to this thing called Evening Prayer. And it helps me just to reflect on the day and to think of it from a God-centered perspective. Now, that might not work for you, but let me tell you, that doesn't take a lot of time. But it does me the world of good. And I'd love to encourage you to, to build some sort of pattern of prayer into your life that you might be able to live a God-centered day. Um, if you want any of the details for any of the technology I use, send me a message and I'll, I'll happily send you a message back to let you know. But I really want to encourage you anyway to, to do that in your life. Anyway, back to our story, back to this event, this ordinary day in Jerusalem. Peter and John, two of the apostles, they're heading up to the temple and they're going there to pray. This is part of their daily habit. But on that day, there is an ordinary man who is also going to pray. Well, he's not actually that ordinary because there's something wrong with him. There's another man going up to the temple. Another man heading up at three in the afternoon. And my guess is that that man would also be there in the morning prayer and the evening prayer times. My guess is that this man went to the temple outside it as much as he could. But he wasn't going there to pray. And he wasn't walking up to the temple. He was being carried there. And he was being carried there because he was going there to beg. It was an ordinary day for the lame man. He was being brought up to the temple to beg. Have a look with me at the text and you'll see it there in verse 2. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going in to the temple courts. Here is this man's daily routine. Do you see how sad it is? Here is this man's life. Every day, someone carries him up to the temple courts. And they set him down outside. And he puts out his hands. And he begs for help. What a tragic daily life that man leads. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad. Later on in Acts chapter 3, we find out that this man is around 40 years old. Imagine 40 years of this. 40 years where this is your daily life, relying on someone to come and to set you outside the temple so that you can beg for help. It is a desperately hopeless life this man is living. I don't know if you've ever really thought about what it must be like to be crippled, to be paralyzed. My guess is that we we can't even get our heads around how just awful that must be. But during uh, a week ago or so, I read a blog written by someone who is paralyzed and they read about their experience and let me just read one line from what they wrote. They said this, in any given day, I can feel embarrassed, violated, patronized, frustrated, sad, overwhelmed, helpless, belittled, fearful, and burdened. This is someone living today. This is someone living in an age which encourages and accepts and empowers disabled people. This is in a day where they get really good health care and social care and benefits. This is in an age where people get the best of care and treatment. And yet that's how that lady says that she feels on any given day. So just imagine the man here in Acts chapter 3. No social services, no benefits, no fair treatment of disabled people a society which says they can't even be slaves because they can't do anything. This man is in a desperately hopeless situation. And so he begs, he he begs for money, he needs food, he needs to survive. We don't know his background, but he clearly needs money like everybody else to live. And so he reaches out his hands and he begs, and he begs, and he begs. This morning, I wonder what your attitude is towards beggars. Those you see in the city, in Belfast, as they sit in the streets and beg. My guess is that your feelings towards them might be one of fear, or maybe you don't really want to engage with them or look at them. Maybe you're terrified of them. But many of these folks, folks are in desperate need Many of these people are in hopeless and desperate situations. And if we take time to speak to them, sometimes we'll understand why they're on the streets begging. Many of them we know take a lot of drugs and take a lot of alcohol. And we don't like that. And neither we should. That's not how someone should be living. But very often if we speak to them and hear their stories, we recognize that that they do this to numb the pain to escape the tragedy of their lives. This man here, he's in a hopeless situation and he's been brought to the temple and he sat down outside and he's begging, he's begging for help. Now here's the question, Why, why does he do it outside the temple? Why does he go outside the temple? Um, In London, very often beggars will go outside church buildings on a Sunday morning and they'll sit outside. Why does he go outside the temple? Why do beggars go outside church buildings today? Well, today I think it's because they think of Christians as being good people. And I think today they think that Christians, out of the goodness of their heart and out of grace, will will maybe help them. And so today I think beggars go outside church buildings because they, they believe the people coming in that door are good and might help them. But the reason people begged outside the temple was a slightly different reason in the ancient world. And the reason people begged outside the temple was because God's people in the ancient world, they practiced something called almsgiving. They practiced something called almsgiving. They give alms to people. And what they used to do in the ancient world was, let's say they got their salary, let's say they got their pay at the end of the week. And they would set aside some money to maybe give into the the, the temple collection or into the synagogue collection. They'd set aside some money for that. They'd set aside money they need for their family and for their needs and for, for their family situation. But they would also take a little portion of their money and they would save it up. They'd set it aside with the purpose of giving it to those in need. This was the practice of almsgiving. They'd take some of their money, they'd save it up, and then if they came across someone in need, they would give this money to them in order to help them. And so the beggar, he's sitting outside the temple, not just because he thinks the people going in there are good, but because those people practice almsgiving and they might just give him the alms that they've saved up to help the poor. Whenever I was in Sunday school, I learned a little song Peter and John went to pray. They made it late to a man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his hands. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But I love it because in that song, it says he, he held out his hands to ask for alms. And this is what he was hoping to get. He was hoping to get some of the alms that the people had saved up. And again, it's challenging, isn't it, to think about this idea of almsgiving. Do we do that as Christians today? Do we save some of our money up so that we can give it to people in need or to buy something for someone who needs it? Do we do that today? Again, I'm really challenged by those who follow Islam because that is part of their practice. That is one of the things they do. It is one of their pillars. It is one of their foundations. One of the things they must do is to practice almsgiving. And again, I just would love to encourage you as Christians in this place in Ravenhill Church, we don't have to do this. It's not something we must do as Christians, but it's something that would be great to do, wouldn't it? Imagine we could take a little bit of our money and save up a little bit week after week after week so that if we find someone in need, we could help them. What a witness for Jesus That could be. And this morning I want to say if you're here and maybe you're in need of help, if you're part of our congregation this morning and you're struggling financially or maybe something has happened and and you need financial help, can I encourage you to, to speak to me about that and to let me know? It will be done in the utmost of confidence. But as a church family, we have money set aside to help those in need. So if you need help, we, we want to practice this almsgiving to you. Anyway, back to our story. Back to Acts chapter 3. There he is. He's crippled. He's outside the temple. He's stretching out his hands. He's, he's hoping to get some money to help him with his life. And he sees two ordinary men walking past, ordinary looking to him, two men, Peter and John, and he, he stretches out his hands to ask them for money. But this man, he doesn't receive money from them. Instead, he receives an extraordinary response. Have a look with me at verses 3 to 5. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money or he asked them for alms. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something them. So there you have it. Peter says, hey, look at us. Look at us. It's, it's this idea, look look at us. We're going to give you something. And so the man looks up expecting to get some money, but that's not what happens. Look at what he gets instead. Look at verse 6 with me. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk taking him by the right hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong this had been an ordinary day for this crippled man he'd gone outside the temple expecting to receive some money But what he received was just so amazing. I'm sure he struggled to even get his head around it. Because what he received was a miracle of healing. He received this amazing, miraculous healing. Peter and John said to him, walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. By his power, in his name, get up and walk. And then they stretched their hand down to the man. And they lifted him up and as they lifted him up, his ankles and his feet became strong and he could walk. This is completely and utterly miraculous. The doctors, they would not be able to explain this. The scientists, they wouldn't be able to explain this even if they tried. This is simply a miraculous work of God. God does something out of the ordinary here. God does something that is just so incredible, it's even hard for us to believe. He does the miraculous. Does God still do this sort of thing today? There's a question for you. Does God still do this sort of thing today? Is our God still a God of the miraculous? Is our God still a God who does miraculous things in this day and in this age? Well, there are three answers to that question, and I'd love to know which one you fall into. And I'll tell you which one I do. Uh, the, The first category is that God does no longer do these things. That miracles simply do not happen today. That is the first view, and that is called the cessationist view, that God has ceased to do these things in this day and age. The idea there is that he did them in this day in order to, to kind of uh, back up the message of the apostles. So he did miracles back then to back up what the apostles were saying. But today, he, he doesn't do these things anymore. That, that is one view. That is called the cessationist view. The second view then is that, yes, he does, and it's just like the book of Acts. The second view is that God does do miracles today, that he does heal people today, that that all of these amazing things that we see in the book of Acts, that, that they should be normal. And that view is called the continuationist view. And if you speak to someone with this view and you ask them, well, listen, why do these things not happen very much today? They'll say, because we don't have enough faith to believe them. So some people say that that these type of miracles that we see in the book of acts they say that they are normal and that they should be expected and if they don't happen it's cuz we don't have enough faith now i sway towards a third view and in this view it's called cautious continuationism i believe that god can do miraculous things today i believe that he can heal people today if he so chooses to. I believe that he can do things that are completely out of the ordinary and things that cannot be explained by science and reason and logic. And one of the reasons I believe this is because having spent time in places like India and Lebanon and overseas where where the gospel is taking root, I just heard so many stories from ordinary people about the miraculous things that God had done. And so I simply cannot say that God doesn't do these sort of things anymore. But what I would say in the caveat is that they're not normal. They're not everyday type of things. They are rare. They are out of the ordinary. But God can and still does miraculous things even in this day and age. And so I want to encourage you this morning, I want to encourage you on one hand to to not feel that you can demand God to do miracles. You can't, you're not God. You cannot command miracles. You cannot demand miracles. You can't name it and claim it in Jesus' name. You simply don't have that power and ability. It's not like the book of Acts in that way and these apostles and the power they had. But on the other hand, I do think we should pray for miracles. Whenever someone is sick, Like we have done as a church family, we should pray for their healing. And amazingly, we've seen answers to those prayers in the past year in incredible ways. We should pray for miracles. We should pray for people's healing. We should pray for God to do things that are out of the ordinary for his glory. And in the middle of all of this, we should trust that he will only do things according to his will. God will not be manipulated into doing something that he hasn't planned or doesn't want to do. And so in the middle of praying for a miracle, we, we also trust his sovereignty and trust that if he says no to that miracle, that is according to his goodwill. But this here in Acts chapter 3, it's, it's an incredible day for this man. This man he, he hands hands right. he wants some money, and instead what does he get? He he gets the hand of Peter and John lifting him up, and he gets the power of Jesus Christ fixing his broken feet and ankles and legs and making him walk. And I just love the response. Have a look with me at verse eight. Verse eight, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went in with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's really significant this we part. From having been outside the temple courts his whole life, from having been sitting on the outside of things, this man now goes into the temple courts to praise and to worship God. Previously, he'd not been able to enter, but now he's able to go in and praise the one true and living God. Do you see the beauty of this story? There was a man, and he was stuck in a hopeless and desperate situation. There was no way out of it. There was no one who could help him. There was nothing he could do. He was in the deepest, darkest place. And yet Jesus brought him out of it. And Jesus changed his life. And Jesus changed his heart. And Jesus changed everything for this man who was in such a hopeless place. And this morning I just want to remind you that this is what Jesus does. (laughs) This is what Jesus does today for people. He finds them in hopeless places and he brings them out of them. He takes people and he finds them in their deepest, darkest place. And he reaches out his hand to them and he brings them out of those places and he transforms their lives. This morning if you're here and you're in a desperate situation I want you to know this morning that Jesus can bring you out of it. He may not fix all your problems but he will transform your life. This morning as we gather in this place there's many of us who've got that story, don't we? There's many of us here this morning and we were in that desperate place that dark place with no hope and yet the Lord Jesus reached down and he picked us up, and he flipped our lives the right way up. Friend, this morning, if that's you, I want you to know that Jesus can transform your life. He can turn it the right way up. He used Peter and John to give the man a hand. Maybe this morning he wants you to come to this church and to find help through the church. Maybe the Lord Jesus wants you to find help in counseling or through GPs this morning, but he wants to change your life and he can transform your life if you look to him and reach out to him. And this morning, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're not paralyzed with your legs, but you're paralyzed because of your sin. You're weighed down with guilt and shame because of your life, because of the things you've done or the things you haven't done. Well, friend, if that's you this morning, the good news is that whenever you look to Jesus, he will heal you, he will cleanse you, he'll forgive you, and he'll give you a brand new and wonderfully transformed life. Sometimes I worry as Presbyterians, we forget that this is what Jesus does. Friends, let's not forget it. Jesus changes lives. This morning we're going to pray. And as we pray, I want you in your mind to to think of someone you know who's in that place where they need help. My guess is we all know someone who is in a hopeless situation, a person who has maybe been brought so low with depression, maybe a person who is struggling with alcohol addiction, a person who has been so low right now and who is in a desperate situation. Let's take a moment and we'll pray for those people. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this true story from the scriptures. This story of a man who had his life flipped upside down by the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you this morning that in this room there are many of us who can testify to having experience like that. We were on the road to nowhere. We were on the road to hell. And yet Jesus entered into our lives and lifted us up from the pit and put us in a different direction and we have been transformed. Father, just now we want to pray for those who we know and love, who we know and care for, who are in a very dark place, who are in a hopeless situation. And in the silence now we name them to you and we name their problems. Father, we thank you that you made each of these people We thank you that you love each of these people. We thank you that you care about them. And we thank you that you have the power to transform their lives. And so, Lord, we would pray that you would send messengers to them to share with them the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that they might put their faith and trust in him and be changed by him. We pray too, Lord, that you would send people to them who will stretch out their own hands to help these people, to lift them up and to bring them to places where they can receive help. Father, I pray that if you want us to be those hands that go and help, that you would give us the boldness to go to those people and to stretch out our hands in Jesus' name and to help them too. Father, we thank you for your word and I pray, Lord, that whatever the thing is that you want to say to us, that that would stick with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.